Good morning, everyone. I'll tell you this. Uh, this 5 a.m. show is much easier on uh, Central Time and even easier on Eastern Time. <laughs> what do you guys say? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Happy Welcome, Friday. Mike Momola, who will be in Portugal with me doing a little speaking and emceeing with Dave Marino as well. We're excited. How are you guys? And we are Thank blessed you. this early in the morning. Stephanie Malik is the CEO of S Malik. I'd say Smalik Enterprises. <laughs> that was my name uh, in college. So, but most importantly, the host of Spin It podcast. Welcome to Office Hours, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You know, we talk a lot to a lot of authors, coaches, speakers, motivators, and entrepreneurs on Office Hours, especially. Um, and, you know, they all have a different spin, uh, no pun intended, on <laughs> performance. And we don't really ask people you know, where you think um, that is critical, because it seems to me is, uh, I know your reputation is an excellent uh, coach and a high performance coach, that you deal with specifics, um, things that you like to focus in on for performance, where I see a lot of other coaches are, you know, very general, you know, they, they look at different things. And that is not my belief on how things get done. How important is it to have a specific exec, uh, objective when you're an executive coach like yourself, a performance coach, how important is it to be very specific about that performance in which you're trying to improve? Yeah, you know, Dave, amazing question. So first of all, I, I can't. We keep score. That's, we keep score, Stephanie. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> like, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, we can hear you. <laughs> We're not kicking you off the show. We're just keeping uh, score. I'm like, that was the best interview I've ever done. That 13 three seconds. Idiot, three idiot. <laughs> Look, I may be 53, but I'm going on 12. Yes, that's okay. I'm okay with that. And I want to make sure we are able to talk about Web Summit because I've gone a couple times and it was incredible. Love awesome. It. Um. So 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 again, I think you have to meet people where they are. Um. I think executives always believe that. Um, that they, they start, start to focus on the problem and they're not really focusing on the pain. They're not focusing on what it's causing for other people. So, so Dave, I actually say no so much to executive coaches. I'm sorry, to, to clients about executive coaching. Um, I actually refer out a lot because I'm not for everyone and I want to measure success and I want it to be your success. So I want to talk about measurements of success where a lot of people think of executive coaching or entrepreneur coaching or high impact coaching as an extension of therapy. And yeah. I'm not that person. I am get up, kick butt, mm -hmm. let's do it. No whining. Like, what are we doing? What's the measurement of success? And a lot of times, Dave, whenever I'm meeting with somebody, I go in, I'm like, okay, let's just talk about your purpose. Let's talk about your measurement of success. And these are executives. These are Fortune 100, Fortune 400 companies that, that deal with us all the time, global companies, or, or venture capitalists that have you know a crap ton of money and they're just killing it. And I say, what's your measurement of success? What are we working on? And they go, I don't know. <laughs> what, 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 do you, what do you mean? Like, what is that? What do you mean? And I was like, why are you here? And then it's always, I shouldn't say always, but probably 80% of the time, it's always at somebody else's direction not going to work with me. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah, that's really awesome. I want to ask a, a little bit about your six week executive presence elevated course. Um, Cause that's a really cool title, obviously and spin it the podcast. I feel like we should be licensing that to 
Peloton to have an executive coaching ride with you and Dave talking <laughs> to <laughs> executive coaches. Um, so if you use that idea, make sure I get credit. But yes, I will. I, I'll bring you in on that. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to know sort of what the core tenants are of, of the, the program, because obviously I do some coaching myself. And whenever you're coaching anybody, whether it's professionally, athletically, you know, you always have to break down into what are the core values. So then you can build everything around that. So in your six week program, what are the tenants or values that you focus on? So 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 here's the thing. I really wanted to, I was asked by several executives to create something to help them through COVID. Okay. They were saying all of these, all of these millennials are coming in and they're asking for promotions. They're asking for more money. They're asking to be more impactful, but they just, I mean, I don't know how to say it better. They suck at their executive presence. They just, they come in, they aren't focused. Um, they're very, uh, entitled. And, and so I was like, oh, I can create something like that really easily. No problem at all. And then, you know what? I took a step back. It was hard because executive presence means something to something different to everybody. And so I was like, where are you? Like, are we talking to managers? Are we talking to directors? How long have they been in corporate? How large is the company? Um, what's their overall model? It was really difficult to do. So really what we did with this course is we made it easily digestible. We talk about influence. We talk about self-awareness. We talk about self-actualization. We talk about being top of mind for leaders and what that means. We talk about effective one-on-ones going in and, and really crushing it. And we talk about how to ask for the promotion. So essentially making it in, totally uncomfortable for your boss not to, not to promote you because you're doing their job for them. You're making them glow and look amazing. You're really focusing on the outcome. And unfortunately, senior managers and directors don't really have that acumen. And so we focus on what does it take to get you to the next step in your body language, in reading a room, and understanding different vernaculars, really focusing on getting them to be thought of by leadership as a leader and trusted by a leader. Stephanie, you're, you're doing something that I like to affectionately call corporate jujitsu, right? You're taking a situation and you're just reversing it and then applying the pressure where it needs to be applied in the way that it needs to be applied. I, I really want to go back to what you said, where you said, I'm not for everybody. I refer out, which I think is powerful. It's profound because it not only shows an awareness of your abilities and your core competencies, but a confidence in your ability to refer out and to continue to build business. My question is, wh when did that start? Because early on, especially for entrepreneurs, I know when I opened my law firm, I took every case I could. I was, yes. you know, we'll figure it out. We'll get it done because we have to pay the bills. And then as you slowly, the boat starts to get up on plane, then you can start to be more selective. So my question is, how and when did you start to figure that out? So it was, it was, I definitely evolved. So it was different things. So we have three lines of business. We have business consulting, which is strategy, retention, um, connection, uh, overall audience and performance. Then we have high impact performance coaching, and then we have crisis, um, it's different in each one of those lines of business. And the biggest reason is, is that there's certain things that I know people, Mike, in my own network that are way better than me. And, and I, I don't, I'll give you an example. Three weeks ago, I got literally a blank check by the best group of guys in New York. They had been well-funded. They were absolutely amazing. I love these guys. They, they are just so fun to work with. They do everything that we talk about. It's amazing. It's all on NFTs and crypto. I don't know. I know, 
great. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> And so, and I, and I, I literally didn't know anything. And I was like, and he said, Stephanie, we know the product. We know the service. Don't worry about that. We need, and I go, absolutely not. Yeah. I would never coach something that I've never failed at. I want to be able to fail so I can talk to you about how I failed and pivoted. So it's, it's really right. Mike, it's, it's different in every line of business, but I would say in the last 10 years, I say no more than I say yes. Mm which is a blessing. And Stephanie, you talked about failures and obviously Spin It is this great business podcast that shares the setbacks, failures, mistakes, the what I call the propel, the propelling events in our life, not the punishment, uh, which 99% of the people don't get, unfortunately. Uh, but one of the things I was thinking about as well, before I get into that, <clears throat> I cry a lot. I'm known as the ferocious Buddha. And as a man, um, you know, I cry and people think I'm so courageous. Um, but when I'm ferocious, because I am a ferocious Buddha, when I'm like you, ferocious and, you know, telling people exactly what they don't want to hear, uh, they don't take it the same way as they take it from a woman. See, if a woman cries, you're going to be seen as weak still today. And they're going to not say, oh, my God, she's so uh, brave and, you know, illuminating and humble and all the compliments I get for you know, loving my mom and crying about her on stage. But on the other side, when I'm a, even to my, my partner over there, Mike Mamula, cause I, you know, coach these two a little bit, you know, I can see it in his face when I'm ferocious, you know, he does not like it. And yet I see <laughs> some boss, you know, boss ladies like you get away with the ferocious side more than, than I can. And you get, and I can get away with the crying side more. Um, how do you think still today, this inherent, you know, differentiator helps you, you know, you talk about, you know, my guys, Blake Chet, I, I can see a difference and it's not always, you know, uh, detrimental. And, and I say that as a white middle-aged man, that if you are a boss lady, uh, there's some huge advantages as well as the disadvantages, which by the way, I, I have to say uh, as someone who's in inclusion and equity, that the, I would rather have it my way. Let's just put it that way. I'm just right. pointing out one of the, the, the benefits that occur, but there's too many uh, of the other side that we still need to work on. But for you, you know, spinning it in this direction, how do you use your own superpowers as a woman? Because you're probably coaching a lot more men than women uh, to help with the ferocious Buddhiness that you have. So I'm not going to tell you it was a great question because I don't want those fingers to go up again. <laughs> I'm just going to start with that right now. I was going to start by saying, I already know this is a great question. So I, I, it, no, I'm not doing it. Fingers. You got me once. You'll never get me again. I'm just going to tell you that. <laughs> That's good for me because I'm up one nothing. I win. I, I know. We're gonna have to, can we do this again tomorrow? Is there a yeah. way we can do this again tomorrow? You know, you're so good. We can do it again tomorrow. I'm fine with doing this on a Saturday. We'll have the Stephanie special Saturday. Edition. Oh, that's we so great. You. I love that. <laughs> Um, so, so here's the thing I get asked this a lot. I get, do you coach men and women differently? Um, the answer is yes. Men and women hear differently. They feel differently. Um, things are priority to men that are not a priority to women and, and vice versa. I'm going to say I'm not people. I get not lovely male sometimes because I don't play the gender card ever. I just don't. Um, I, I feel like if you come in and you prove yourself and you actually can walk the walk and you can actually talk the talk, I will say something though, Dave, you nailed something for me. Four men have cried in my office, two billionaires. I've taken them every single time because that's raw emotion. That is real. 
that is somebody who wants to actually move through the journey and get better, constantly getting better, constantly being a, a curious student. Those are the guys that I, there's no intake form. There's no like, you know, second interview or that let's go like right now, let's go. So I haven't cried in front of a client. I have gotten some really, really bad news um, in front of a client before, and I've walked away and I've stepped away. And more so that was a more of a check for me, which I should probably get coached by Mike about feeling my, my feelings and, and, you know, working through these things. I didn't, I got in an elevator and I burst into tears because I got some horrible news. I've never cried in front of a client. I think that's honestly conditioning. Um, just because I was the only, I was always the only female in the room. I was always the youngest and I was always the least educated. You can't cry in the big boys club. You know, you just can't. No, no wonder you make it such. No wonder you make such a great coach. Those are three great criteria. I mean, I'm just. I mean, you just. You just can't. So you know, I. I. I we do coach differently, and I do believe that there is a gender card. I. I have not been privileged enough to use it. Yeah, Stephanie, I'm indulge me for a second. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm. I'm pretty sure you're not asked often, and it's because I'm looking at the comments here, and I see Zion Astro Football Academy is here. Uh, they are a football academy in Liberia, Africa, for boys and girls age 11 to 14. And I spoke with these boys and girls yesterday um, via Zoom about the power of sport and the things that will help them become successful folks in life. And these kids were just in tune and intent. So having you on this, uh, I would love for you to ask, to, to ask you, uh, what advice would you give to children 11 to 14, things that they can start doing right now that can lead them to maybe not needing an executive coach to fix them, but to just help enhance them when they get to their professional careers? So my number one advice, I have four kids, um, 11 to 26, attitude and gratitude every single day. Practice your attitude. I mean, we have several attitude adjustments in our home often. Um, <laughs> attitude, um, asking your coach. Like my kids were terrified of their coaches. My co my kids are all athletes. Go ask them, what can you do to be better? And if you don't, and here's the thing. Here's the thing, David. The, the kids shake their head this way and they're like, okay, okay. And then they walk away and they're like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> Ask him, say, ask her, say, how do I be, get better? And they'll go, oh, do rondos or, oh, do, you know, do whatever, do these things. And the kids are like, okay, okay. And then they go and they don't know what it is. Be specific like this. Would you like me to do it like this? Correct my form, correct my balance. Right. And then correct my attitude. Be grateful for all of the things that you have. Um, I am, I am literally, my office hates me because something bad will happen. And I'm like, well, we learn this and we learn this and we learn this. They're like, okay, enough with the Buddha. Okay. But it's really true. Be grateful and thankful for every single lesson and every single relationship, because it's going to teach you how to be better or, or how not to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. You are a badass. <laughs> you gotta, I gotta have you on more shows. You are amazing. I just have to say one thing. I didn't know you were allowed to have kids when you were eight years old. So I don't know. How <laughs> I was 12. Don't exaggerate. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was like, wait a second. She just said, I'm sitting here going, I got four kids. My oldest is 22. I look like I could be your dad. Oh my God. You're <laughs> no way. You, you know are what's a funny? badass. That's all I have to say. I can't wait uh, to be on spinning. I can't wait. I am so excited. You're amazing. And people have to reach out to you. Uh, Stephanie Malik, M-A-L-I-K.com. Anywhere else you want people to reach out to you, I have a, but you know, this is an executive show. So we have a ton of great, I think, people that sit in the realm for you to say no to. Uh, and hopefully a few that you can say yes to and refer all the rest of your business over there to Mike. Yeah, uh, Mike, are NFT you in work? He's the NFT specialist. 
Are you in yeah. New York, Mike? Yeah, New York and New Jersey. Right so I'm going to be there next week. We should get together. Love to. And That's David, too. Yeah. So if David can get David, away you're from... in New York, too? Let's do that. That would be so fun. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm Let's do it. Right before yes. you guys go to Web Summit. So uh, it's there. I've been to – this will be my fifth. This is their first, so I'm with you. Uh, it's so fun. I met Gary V there and had, like, the best conversation ever. Like, I just – I it was – I hate conferences. They're ridiculous. And this was the absolute best conference. In fact, I've been planning to go. My husband and I fight because he goes to Breeders' Cup and I go to Web Summit and then the kids are left on their own, which is a whole other show. Nice. Yeah, we, we're taking uh, Alice Machinsky from uh, Celsius Network. Another awesome. billionaire. The Voip and Mort, man. Anyway, if you want to do a Saturday show with us, I'll, I'll definitely do it. But I have other shows, TV shows. We, we need you more. You're incredible. What a great guest. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys, Stephanie. I'll reach out to you. Let's get together yeah. next week. Thank you guys so much. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks, Steph. Bye. See you soon. Uh -huh. Spin It podcast. We got to check that out. Yeah. What a personality. Unbelievable. Um, Bringing the energy this Friday morning, man. She's Bringing the heat. Oh, my God. I wish every first guest was like that. It'd make my day so easy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, That's... let's uh, get a little wrap going on uh, some takeaways for the week. Uh, while we have our next guest coming on. Um, so Matt's there panicking. He, first, he was gloating because the Dodgers killed uh, the Braves, and he's you know gloating there. He puts his Dodger hat away. Where's my Dave Meltzer hat behind the stage, by the way? Anyway, uh, takeaway for the week, Mike. I know we got to visit, uh, and you're out in California. Had an extraordinary yeah. time, huh? Yeah. I, oh, my. It just incredible. Unbelievable in every sense of the word. You know, the things with the premiere, by the way, office hours. Tonight, Bloomberg Television, 8.30 uh, Pacific and uh, 11.30 p.m. Just amazing guests. So, yes, thank you for everything. It was, it was spectacular. For me, it was, you know, and Stephanie just sent it home. It was the power of no. And mm. so often people misinterpret or um, misunderstand the power of no. And they think if I say no to this person, they're going to think less of me. They won't want to do business with me. All of the studies show that people actually think more of you. They realize that you're important. They realize that you're busy. They realize how much it took, maybe not immediately, but by the time they walk away and they give it some thought that, wow, okay, I understand that. And they ultimately respect you more. So there is a profound power in the power of no. Yeah, there's a saying, right? You're made by the people you said no to, but okay. also the people you say no to are made by you. Uh, so it's a really good lesson. Big D, the handsome fellow that's just not quite yes, as handsome as me. Go ahead. There you go. You're feeling yourself today, huh, Dave? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to shame you. Yeah, that's all good. You're allowed to. I gave you license to. Take advantage of it. Because uh, you know I can be sensitive sometimes. Me too. Um, Me too. <laughs> I know Mikey can. He Me gets too. Puppy dog. He gets the puppy dog face when you tell him that. <laughs> oh, my God. I got I got a pit bull puppy dog face. Make you cry in your phone with that puppy dog face. But uh, for me, is there are no unimportant days. Uh, I think too many times we just wake up and we're like, I'm not feeling it today. You know, and, and that day, you know, sometimes could spiral all the way out of control. You end up, you know, I'm going to not do X. I'm not going to do Y. I'm going to, you know, get off my calendar. And you really can put yourself back doing that. So, um, obviously it's a practice that I've been fortunate thanks to having good coaches and good mentors, which is something that I think all of you guys should prioritize in life to not have those in a long time. But I've been just really reflecting every single day, especially looking back on this past week. You, you, sometimes you look at your calendar, you're not as pumped for, for what's on that calendar. You don't see the big meeting or there's really nothing that, that excites you. But then you look back and you're like, wow, that day was so important because of X. 
Um, so for me, it's, it's they're no unimportant days. I love that. My, my lesson for the week is illumination. Uh, and it's just been a blessed week for me. Uh, Marshall Silvers, uh, we're planning a whole nother TV show with him. I had uh, Derek Moneyberg here in Chicago and doing a lot more work with him. And, you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking it's because I just illuminate who I am. And so the Shakespearean revival that I'm talking about, not just the stage theory that the whole world is your stage, capture, modify, amplify and perpetuate, but to thine own self be true. And let me share with you guys a, a little story from this morning, um, because I know where you both come from. It'll resonate with both of you. Um, I'm not going to use any names because because these people work with me, but um, I'm here with one of my uh, you know employees that comes from a very affluent family, you know hasn't faced economic challenges. But I will tell you, uh, he's probably one of the best employees I've ever had. He he he, he has no problem with discipline, work. Is he, he enjoys the consistent, persistent pursuit of his potential. Let's just say that. I have another kid uh, that's a little older that. It has the same attitude. He enjoys the consistent, persistent pursuit of your potential. But he grew up poor and he has nothing, right? And in he drives a shitty car and it got totaled. He he just had had a horrible horrible week of what I call uh, opportunity to propel himself. And um, he flew into Chicago to meet me, and we're all going to go, uh, you know, speak to the to the indie people and you know, go to the game with Mia. So he flies in this morning on the red eye, you know, which isn't easy in the first place, gets off and, and he's over 25. So I had him rent the car because uh, Super Moneyberg, you know, picked me up in his Maybach and his driver and we got escorted around all day yesterday. <laughs> no need to rent a car. Anyway, he, uh, he gets in and he never tells me that he doesn't have a credit card because he's embarrassed. And like, I know what that feels like. And of course, when he comes in, he doesn't realize that you need a credit card to rent a car and there's all types of, you know, other things that are going on. Right. And, and he is embarrassed even to tell me why he couldn't, you know, rent the car. He said, well, I don't have a local driver's light. I'm like, dude, you know, who you're talking to <laughs> you know, my car 200 days a year. I've, I've traveled, you know, I know exactly, you know, and he slips in at the end as he went through all the excuses. Oh, I don't have a credit. What? Oh, I don't have a credit card. Mm -hmm. Now, my initial reaction was, you know, being mad. And then I breathed and I said, wait a second. Here's a person that I can help. I know exactly how he feels, like how hard, how hard that is, man. Yeah. You know, like you, you, you have a job, your dream job. You're having a week where now you're wondering how you're going to get to work and you're too embarrassed to ask you know, your boss, hey, can you help me get a car, help me with a car just to get to work? Mm -hmm. Then you fly in and now you're worried you're going to get fired because, you know, how the heck are we going to get to Indiana without a rent a car? You know, and, and this is such a lesson because I, you know, in the previous young leader, Dave, you know, would have been on, you know, accountability and how, illumination and, yeah. and yet <clears throat> I tell the young kid that's affluent, I said, man, <clears throat> I want you to know what this is like. And you know what his response to me was? Wow, I didn't know, I didn't know you needed a credit card to rent a car. On the other side, see the kid that didn't have a credit card never rented a car because he's too poor. <laughs> the rich kid 
just never thought about it because he's always had a credit card since he's been 16. Mm-hmm. And I, I, how many times for those people out there that are listening, you know, you may not have everything and you sit there going, this is, I can't get ahead. This is one of those. And, and I know you guys know what it feels like. <laughs> Shit just keeps coming down to me. I can't get ahead. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, <clears throat> what this kid learned and not just cause I'm you know, going to help him. I'm going to help him get a credit card. I'm going to help him get a car. Uh, but what was amazing is he went ahead without me saying anything. And this is why this kid's going to be super successful. He went ahead, got a ride with a lady. Doesn't have any money for He doesn't have Uber, right? He got a ride with a lady. And then she, he was talking to her. She thought he was so nice and kind. She rented the car for him. Wow. Wow. That's resourceful. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. There's some lessons when you talk about <clears throat> propelling yourself. Um, and so I'm going to teach him a lesson about being honest. Yeah, you get a lot, a lot more, but I'm also going to congratulate him, right, for propelling himself to a better place, a better position, and, you know, let him know I'll help him get a credit card, help him get a car. Uh, because, I, I, man, did it hit me. I knew... So many times in my life, oh my God, you know, I was so jealous, right? That's probably why I have a need to be offended as I got older, you know, because it, it just sucks, right? Like, you, you, you guys know what that feels like. So that, that was my takeaway. Anyway, we're blessed to have Kim here with us now. She is the founder of Founders, First Capital Partners, uh, and we'd love to talk about First Capital Partners. Kim, you are a welcome face to this. We can't just sit here, all three of us, all day rapping. So thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, you guys just had a, a small little uh, event, uh, <laughs> you raising a, a little bit of money. And uh, as and I'm, and I'm going to, you know, not, not even share it. You, you had a big event. Why don't you share with us your, your, your big event uh, in securing some funds? Certainly. Well, uh, good morning and excited to be here. Um, I'm the founder of Founders First. Um, We're a platform to help fund and grow uh, diverse founder-led businesses. We celebrate inclusivity and um, we just celebrated six six years old um, this this month. And so um, we have been helping over 500 companies with uh, funding and growing their businesses. Um, and uh, as part of that, as support of that, um, we closed uh, $9 million in uh, Series A financing led by the Rockefeller Foundation, as well as Cerdna Foundation and a number of other leading foundations to help us uh, fund and grow a thousand companies. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. That, that's amazing. Um, amazing mission uh, that your company has. And I, I want to ask a, a two prong question, if I can, because uh, mm-hmm. I, I get these questions quite a bit. I speak on DNI initiatives uh, quite often. And one question I get all the time uh, in the corporate sphere is, is why is diversity and inclusion important? And I would love to ask you that question specifically uh, when it comes to having diverse founders in the marketplace to grow their companies. And the second question, second part of that question I want to ask is, um, what are the things, because a lot of folks would love to raise money, but they don't know where to start. What are the things folks need uh, to come to a, a Founders First Capital Partners to look to get you know, funding for their company? 
Uh, well, I was listening to you guys' discussion before, and there's definite relevance for helping diverse founders grow. So, um, you know, we celebrate inclusivity. So we pretty have a pretty wide uh, net for uh, the companies that we help. Um, they're led by women, people of color, military veterans, LGBTQ, and those in low and moderate income areas. And I came to this work, um, Founders versus my seventh business. Uh, so I have been a diverse founder for over 25 years. And um, when you look at the impact, I mean, many of you are involved with the sports uh, industry. Can you imagine that industry without diversity and inclusion? Uh, and just how rich and great that industry is because diversity and inclusion. The same goes through for uh, the, our uh, economy. You know, a more inclusive economy makes uh, growth of jobs and, you know, resources that are available that same cycle. But that's not the way our economy is. Um, most capital goes to 98% of um available businesses that that are perceived available less than you mean, you mean Stanford white white and Asian Stanford grads is that who the money goes uh, <laughs> maybe maybe uh, a few more you know Asian, well <laughs> in any case uh you know less than two percent goes to the people that we serve and just imagine um you know uh Businesses are being start, started by the market that we serve, women, people of color, military veterans, LGBTQ, and those in low and moderate income areas, like five times more than, um, you know, majority led businesses. So our economy wins, meaning, you know, more jobs, more, you know, growth and all of these things when you grow diverse founder led businesses. Um, the last 20 years, um, while there's been an increase in those businesses starting, they haven't grown in jobs, profits, or revenues, um, you know, at all. You know, the vast majority of these businesses are solopreneurs, not, um, or, you know, maybe a couple, less than five employees. And so our mission is really to help them, you know, uh, triple, uh, you know, uh, their employment base, you know, so that they can get to the point where they're having 20, 25 employees. Um, and get to the point where they're, you know, high seven, eight figure businesses. Um, <clears throat> the other side of my career getting into this uh, is um, the fact that I did take mostly, you know, uh, equity, you know, uh, investment. But as, as David mentioned, most the equity investment goes to businesses that are either in the Bay Area or in New York. So if you happen to be in San Diego or Chicago or Texas or Detroit, you have a very, very tough time getting access to capital to grow your business. Kim, one of the things that I've seen often in Good Morning, by the way, is that founders tend to either out of lack of experience or lack of proper guidance, tend to not ask for enough money when they're raising and that, that I wanted to know, one, if you find that to be true. And um, the second part of that question is, do you find, because the other part of that is that very often we find that it's easier to raise more money, bigger numbers than it is small numbers. And do you find that to be true with the people that you're working with? And if so, why? Um, so uh, it always takes four times as long and costs, you know, three times as much for whatever you're doing. <clears throat> and uh 
the challenge is that, you know, I started my first company in the crazy dot com era where people were, you know, either more naive or whatever. But now you have to have a lot more, you know, traction or proof that you're able to return money for most people. It's definitely for diverse founders. You need to have that proof and traction that you can return um, the whatever investment that you're going to have. But you need to make certain you're prepared to do it. So um, when you're taking outside capital, uh, you, you know, it's going to take longer to raise that money anyway, you know, and if you don't happen to have that network. Um, so, you know, being able to ask for a bit more than you're going to need because, you know, it's never going to work exactly the way your plan that you're presenting works. So um, mm -hmm. that can be a challenge that, that people don't take that into consideration, especially most first time founders don't. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I was telling that story about one of my employees and I was thinking to myself, what a resilient individual and yeah. of all the billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, and entertainers that we have on the show, uh, the common denominator is the desire that you must be what you can be, that resilience. And there's nobody I'd rather fund. I don't care if you live in Silicon Valley or Manhattan or went to Stanford or Columbia. I'd rather have, you know, that kid that grew up, the, the Jason Wallers of the world that grew up in the the motorhome and, uh, or, you know, really have resilience. So I think we discount the resilience, uh, especially with uh, minority owned businesses of how resilient you have to be just to stay in business. Uh, so when I get those entrepreneurs that come in front of me with that resilience, and most of them are minority owned uh, businesses that come in front of me, I pay, pay special attention and give special credence to that resilience, which you obviously have utilized in your life for extreme success. Uh, well, we look forward to supporting you. Uh, look forward to having you on more shows as well, Kim. Uh, appreciate everything you do. Go to foundersfirstcapitalpartners.com, the incredible founder of Founders First Capital, changing the world where we really need uh, the change. So thank you so much for giving us that support and leadership. We appreciate you. Thank you for the thank opportunity you. and have a great morning. You too. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Kim. She's amazing. Absolutely. I got to get her uh, Anita from Aniva. We, we got to introduce her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She, I also she, was thinking I have to introduce her to Carlton, Carlton Jenkins, MJC oh, yeah. in LA. Yeah. yeah. Well, make sure, Matt, you, you make a note of those two, Carlton and Anita. We'll make that introduction uh, for for them as well. Maybe even uh, Flu, the Andre. Yeah. Uh, Flu, right? great. So Andre yeah. Flew, Alan. Not, I'm, he wants to do an event with me. All right. Since it's the early morning, it's time to go fishing. And uh, we'll get CJ Fisher on here. Uh, <laughs> that's really real, man. This is a bad I'm here. You caught here. me. I'm here. <laughs> uh, the partner of Fox Rothschild LLP, co-chair of the gaming practice group, foxrothschild.com. And uh, look, we're, we're going to get into something I really know about. You know, we, we've been dancing this morning around some amazing women. Uh, but now we get to talk about sports and sports betting. And, uh, you know, people ask me during the uh, pandemic, what what should I do? I said, look, look at your skills, knowledge and desire, you know, and align it with what's doing well, what's stable or right. what you think is going to do well. And then instantly they say, what do you think is going to do well? And I said, two things I think are going to do well is esports and get and betting uh, and gambling. Right. And so. Uh, and they're interrelated, uh, by the way. So would love to kind of discuss uh, the 
future of sports betting and specifically, you know, the different areas that were regulated. You know, I, I, I always analogize. It's like marijuana. You know, they put people in California in jail for life for smoking marijuana. <laughs> now every single person in California either smokes it, deals it, you know, markets it, does something around right. marijuana and CBD. And the same thing. It's like, you know, it was right. like the curse of baseball gambling. I go to every single stadium and you watch the playoffs right now. It's like, gamble this. You got that right. from Larry David, you know, Caesar. Yes. Bet yes. on this game. Anyway, the, the faces change. Uh, would love to see where the growth and what you are doing, uh, of course, with as a partner of Fox Rothschild with the gaming practice group, which is, to me, one of the things that are going to be doing really, really well in the future. Yeah, well, well uh, first and foremost, thank you for uh, for having me. It's a it's a pleasure to to be here. Um, but I think you I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's it's insane in the industry right now. Um, it seems like every every two weeks there's another state that legalizes uh, sports betting, and it, it frankly it's unprecedented in the in the gaming industry. You know, with casino expansion, you know maybe one state a year would, would decide to legalize uh, commercial casinos. But, but now everyone's trying to get in on the, on the action from the, the sports betting point of view on the state perspective. And also when you look at gambling operators, it's, it's hyper competitive. And, and I'm sure the average sports viewer at home notices that because they're bombarded with ads from different sports books, uh, repeatedly during any broadcast that they're watching. So I, I think we'll continue to see that for the next several years. I think more states will legalize. And I also think um, iGaming will be big as well. There's only a couple of states that have uh, fully legalized uh, iGaming, meaning like internet casino games, blackjack, slot machines, and, and the like. And for different reasons that can be more profitable from a state tax perspective the margins are a bit higher so i, I think states will get wise to that as well and, and we'll see that expand also yeah absolutely especially as they realize how much money they can make from it and i know the ncaa they're gonna wisen up as well when they realize how much money they can make from their massive industry on on, on the betting side and have a piece of the action um I'd like to ask you a question I get asked often. Uh, I'm also a big law partner with a focus on sports law. I'm actually the ABA's co-chair of sports law, so okay. not involved in that. I'd love to get you involved. Uh, this is a shameless plug and a direct ask. Uh, <laughs> happy, happy to help. Happy yeah, to help. Absolutely. So uh, a lot of folks interested in sports law, right? I mean, uh, folks that I mentor are interested in sports business, and, and those that are young lawyers tell me, hey, should I be taking sports law classes in law school? You know, what sort of jobs can I, can I take outside of law school that will make me more, attra more attractive to teams or clubs or firms in the sports practice? And my response has always been, I didn't take any of those classes. Like, for me, yeah. getting into the space has been truly organic, relationship-based, and, and sort of just doing the right thing and buying in. So I'd love to, to, to talk a little bit about your journey uh, to, to being a partner in the gaming practice and what advice you would give for young lawyers that specifically want to pursue a career in sports law. You know, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head that, you know, I didn't really have any any direct sports or gaming experience in law school or, or prior to law school. 
you know, when I when I got out of law school, I, I did litigation for a couple of years. I kind of moonlighted on the side working with uh, an, an NFL agent who was also involved in, in, in music uh, uh, entertainment law. And, and really, you, I think you just need to find what your your skill set is and just get really good at it and make those those contacts, those those connections. And, you know, it might not happen in two years, but maybe in five years you find that opportunity and your, your skill set is, is an appropriate fit. I mean, with me, you know, I had the litigation background. I had a, a finance background. And when I had the opportunity to, to join Fox almost nine years ago, um, you know, gaming was just an interesting space for me. And, and again, I, I had no gaming experience, but what I did have was uh, litigation experience that, that ha- can apply to the regulatory uh, space. I had a finance experience that is applicable to corporate law and some of the issues we deal with, with getting companies licensed and, and restructuring. And I really sold that to, to get into uh, my current position. And, you know, from there uh, with sports betting and, and PASPA getting overturned a few years ago, um, just putting yourself in the, in, the right, in the right spot at the right time to take advantage of, of that opportunity. So, so really, I, I think it comes down to, you know, keeping your eyes and ears open for opportunities. But in the meantime, just focus on honing your skills and, and networking. And, you know, if if you do that, you work hard and, and you you stay in touch with your contacts, you'll you'll find those opportunities. It just might take some time to get there. Quick follow up, Mike. That that agent yeah. wasn't Frank Salzano, was it? Frank. No, no. It, 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 <laughs> <laughs> And he wouldn't tell you if it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, CJ, I'm curious to know, as, as sports betting continues to evolve, are there other things that are evolving uh, in a parallel with them? Specifically, what I'm asking about is like digital, digital currencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, different things like that. Are we having discussions along those lines where one day I'll be able to bet with my Ethereum and Bitcoin? Or is that never going to happen? What's, what are you guys thinking about all of that? I, I think it. I think it will happen. It it may take. Uh, it may take some time. But I I I, I have talked to a, a couple of different companies that are exploring the use of of cryptocurrency in the 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 gaming space. Uh, so I, I think that will that will happen. Um, and and there's also you know other um, unique products that I, I think have yet to um, to hit the market. Uh, you know, peer-to-peer exchange wagering. There's there's a couple of different factors that have held that market back um, in the in the U.S. So that's another kind of segment of of sports betting that I think we'll we'll see in the coming years. Um, for various reasons, just a little bit slow to uh, to to roll out in the U.S. And I think the cryptocurrency um, regulators will take some some explaining to get them comfortable with that sort of thing. But sure. eventually, I, I think it'll happen. And I definitely agree. I think one of the most interesting things, you know, for office hours is the way that you've used as the other two guys to my left or right, depending on what your screen looks like, uh, your skills, your knowledge and desire to get into sports. Um, and, you know, for me, people always ask me, you know, how did you end up CEO of Lee Steinberg? You know, the most notable, how Warren Moon's business partner, how did you end up there? I said, well, to be honest, uh, 
I didn't practice law and I ended up getting into technology. So I added on top of my bar and my law degree, a skill set of understanding the business of technology. And when Lee Steinberg met me, he had never met anyone that had been CEO of Samsung's phone division and played sports in college and had a law degree. And he saw the future of sports in technology and wanted, you know, to replace Jeff Morad with someone that, you know, may not be the greatest lawyer like Dave Marino and Mike Momola and CJ Fisher and Lee Steinberg. But, you know, I knew the business of technology and, you know, it saved, it saved the firm because technology became a really important part of representation, marketing and branding endorsements of athletes. Uh, I see the same thing with you, CJ, with David and Mike that, you know, Mike is a lawyer, but really knows NFTs and, and crypto. Very few do, right? David as well in the representation also has, you know, extraordinary, he was a defense attorney uh, and utilized a lot of those skills in order to effectuate inclusion, equity, and being the first partner at Brown Rudnick. Uh, so I, I wondered, you know, as you're here, use you three as an example of skills, knowledge, and desire Real quick, last question. What advice would you give to somebody to get involved in, you know, the business of sports that, you know, there's so many kids that want to get involved in sports. What advice would you give them? Um, really find, find any, any way in, even if it's for, for free. I, I you know, I, I hate saying that, but you want I, no, I mentioned you're, earlier you're my business by saying that I get more free people <laughs> yeah. work for free. That's the best way to get involved in sports. You know, it, I, I referenced it earlier. I referenced it earlier when I was doing litigation, when I, you know, when I worked with that, um, that entertainment attorney, that, that NFL agent, you know, I, I wasn't making anything. I was like, how can I help you? You know, here's my skill set. You know, I can take something off of your plate. And I can learn a whole lot in the in the process. And you know, you're a you're you're learning, you're getting experience that you can then sell to that to that next position. And you're also, you know, you're developing a great relationship of somebody who's been there, done that um, in the in the industry. So I think that's one way. And then and then again, I I think it's really whatever your your passion is, whatever your skill set is, be really good at it and you can be the best, I don't know, marketer for 10 years and do something that has nothing to do with sports, but then all of a sudden a position opens up with a, a sports gambling company or a sports team that needs somebody who knows, like you said, who has a technical expertise in, in marketing or another field, and you're the perfect fit because of your skill set. And then you're and then you're in you're into sports. It just, you know, it, it doesn't happen overnight necessarily. Yeah, well, I know my friend uh, Mike Tannenbaum, who was the general manager of the Jets, used to tell me, I'm so lucky. I said, brother, I know you're not lucky because you graduated with the same amount of law loans that I did and took a job with the 0-16 Saints at $600 a month when I guarantee your loan payment was three times that. Uh, (laughs) You made an investment in yourself. All three of you have made an investment in yourself. I can't think of a better place to be than understanding the laws and business model behind sports betting. It's only going to grow worldwide, as you know, in many different platforms. Uh, it's one of the oldest yep. professions in the world uh, that easily has a margin. I, you know, th- those hotels in Vegas, 
they they weren't built off of uh, you know the food. So uh, <laughs> we all know Very that. Thank you, CJ Fisher, for joining us. Check him out at Fox uh, Rothschild, and we appreciate you. You got put that up there. FoxRothschild.com. Come visit us again. We appreciate you. Yeah, certainly. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks, CJ. Great conversation. All right, boys, we got an incredible clubhouse this morning. We're going to be doing Mikey Mamola with our boy from Mikey, the other Mikey from Creatify. Uh, so I'm going to be over introducing Mike, and uh, you're leading the way today on Clubhouse, Mike. We got a lot of bigger things. You guys got to step it up for me. I got too, too many platforms gotcha. to deal with, so it, we it's got time it. for you to take over. We got, awesome. We'll make you guys famous, so help people, all right? <laughs> Uh, yes. Anyway, thanks have. for Thank your takeaways. You. Let's jump over to Clubhouse. I'll have training after that as well. Today's training is the Cobbler's Kids Have No Shoes. It's one of my most favorite trainings I've ever outlined. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I'll see you guys in about 11 minutes. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you guys. Yes. You guys are awesome. Thanks, D. All right. Come join me on Clubhouse. We got training after that. Cobbler's Kids Have No Shoes. If you need anything, david at dmelcher.com. I'll send you the ebook, the audiobook. I'll sign a copy of my book, ship it to you, pay for the book and shipping. All you have to do is email me, david at dmelcher.com. Remember, most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you later. <laughs>